Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out, no matter how hard it rains. In my city. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 269th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And we are here tonight to talk about your Seattle Seahawks, who maybe you don't, maybe you've disowned them. Maybe they're not your Seattle Seahawks after that week one performance. They're still mine, and they are somewhat of a disappointment. Um, I haven't yet broken that news to them. Uh, you know, it's a, that's a tough conversation to have, but man, that was a very deflating way to start this season. We will talk about it before we do. I will bring in Nathan Ernst at Nathan E 11, also known as bootleg Andy Reed. How are you doing, Nathan? Oh, I was doing better until people compared me to Andy Reid, I guess, but <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about you? How are you, Brian? You know what? I'm actually doing really well. I'm happy to be here and happy to be talking uh, about my pain and suffering with, with good friends to work through it. I've been told that's an important thing. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty dang well, all things considered. Um, I don't think Jeff got the memo. Yeah, Jeff, you could turn off your background. Uh, uh, we've we've got we've got that covered for you now. We've moved to a new a new setup, no virtual background, so you don't have to worry about all that. Yeah, look at that, much better. It's just you, dude. That's fine. What are the pictures of on your wall there, Jeff? I have the uh, Michael Jordan shot over uh, Utah. Mm. Another one is the Sopranos. Um, all the uh, main characters are playing some sort of blackjack or poker. Nice. On the other side, are my Seahawks jerseys on the wall. Uh, who do you have? I have a Russ. I have a Earl Thomas. I have a Matt Hasselbeck, a, a Lockett, and a Joey Galloway. Ooh, very nice. I need to know. That was a voice of our very own Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons, who I think, I have to admit, Jeff, I am pretty convinced the reason the Seahawks played the way they did the first week of the season and we had such bad luck is that you were not part of our show last week. It felt very awkward to not have you there. And so 
it was very important that we found a way to get you here. And the only way we could make it happen was to push the, the pod back later, which is a little odd since we're on the, on the West coast and you are the opposite. How did your baseball game go? It was the final game of our league and it was a very stupid ending. And it, my team actually won the championship in one of the dumbest hey. things I've ever seen. So the, the lights turn out at the park at a certain period of time, like automatically. So there's like a drop dead cutoff time where they won't play the game after that cutoff time. But earlier before that, there's also like a point where at certain point period, they won't do a new inning after a certain time. So we were up by one run going into like the seventh inning, which is the softball limit. And the clock hit that 840 cutoff time on the East coast. And they called the game. Didn't let us play the seventh inning. My team won. And like the least eventful victory I've maybe ever had. It was very odd. That is a little anticlimactic. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. I think that is a good segue into uh, talking about the way the Seahawks started the season. Uh, very anticlimactic. Uh, as we, we get into that, I will remind folks, please give the show a like, uh, subscribe to the channel, and go to patreon.com slash Sign up now, get instant access to the Slack channel where you can celebrate and commiserate 24 hours a day with other Seahawks fans in a very safe environment, almost a padded room at this point, I think might be necessary, but it's, it's a, it's a really great spot. And uh, also super chats back. So we had some really, really generous super chats uh, recently, I think in the post game show uh, over a hundred dollars in super chat, which is great. And as folks know, all of it goes to charity. So over $260,000 has been donated. You can be part of it uh, and get a lot of benefits for doing so. So, uh, all right, Nathan. Well, actually, Jeff, since you didn't get to talk at all last week, I'm going to start with you. You started into this season with kind of a low expectation. You were not, you felt like there wasn't a lot at stake. So I'm kind of curious for someone like you, how did you feel after that game? It's absolutely furious. Hmm. Um, so it didn't help. Did not help at all. I had low expectations for sure, but I still thought this was going to be a fun ascending team. And there was a lot of things I was excited about. I've talked about how much I wanted to watch the offense and the fact that it looked like that and they were that bad defensively and they were that outcoached and how easy it was for them. And it wasn't like the Rams. Like when there's one game against the Rams last year where, John Wolford, they're doing all this creative gimmicky stuff to get like Tutu Atwell in space. That I understood, like that was frustrating, but I can understand that. But they were just running the basic Robert Woods route that they used to run on Seattle for years. And for them to be that porous defensively, and then for the offense to go into the tank too, I thought the coaches, especially, I think a lot of my anger was directed with the coaching, just how hopeless they looked defensively, especially in the secondary, which was supposed to be the strength of their defense. It's just so irritating because the one thing we all were like, oh, the run defense, Evan for weeks was like, this run defense is going to kill us all. That was their freaking strength of this game. Mm -hmm. And everything else went terribly wrong. And just the way they use some of their players was very frustrating to me. Like they have those three receivers and some of the, uh, I thought they, Shane Waldron specifically did an awful job. And frankly, I just thought overall, like if you want to build a case of why Pete Carroll shouldn't be the coach anymore, that game had everything you wanted, like every offseason decision, every familiar pattern. I found myself frustrated to that point where I couldn't do any work on Monday, even though I had no expectations. 
I was just so irritated watching that and just seeing how things kind of unraveled and how it could unravel going forward now. That game really, the game really beat me down. That's a that's a good transition into Nathan, who jokingly brought up, uh, yeah, let's get back to the conversations about why Pete Carroll should be fired before this game. And somehow we all laughed that off, including Nathan. Like, that's just a joke. And somehow that's exactly where we are uh, one week after that game. Nathan, I am always curious. You, you see things very differently. Off, you often see things differently than, than I do or others do on the show. I'm kind of curious. What was that game in your eyes? So my experience with the game was a little weird. Um, I was flying back from Vegas for the uh, my our plane left at like 1.30. So we were boarding when the game started. I caught bits and pieces of it. Uh, throughout the flight and then uh i I, so and then i rewatched it um so i I didn't have quite the emotional uh investment that you do when you're watching it you know down by down and everything um i'm okay with it i'm kind of at peace with it um you know i think my my high level take here is that the things we thought they would be good at they were bad at like pass defense offense the things we thought they would be bad at, they were good at, like run defense. And so, you know, you can look at that glass half full and say, hey, that's going to even out and the offense will swing back and the defense showed it can stop the run. And so that's a good sign, right? Um, And, you know, when we talked about this last week, you know, we talked about, hey, how do the Seahawks lose this game? And I think the thing we all kind of talked about was, well, if Matt Stafford isn't cooked, if last year was the aberration, then this could be a feisty team. And Matt Stafford looked phenomenal. Um, So, you know, it's week one. And uh, I'm tired of hearing that. Everyone on Twitter, it's week one, it's week one, it's one. Like, yeah, but it's true. It's week one. We don't know what these teams are. And um, so I um, I think if you were hoping for a big step, then this was probably a really big disappointment. But I think there's still, uh, you know, a lot of reasons for optimism. And it's, it's a lot, you know, a lot of games left, so I, I haven't gotten too worked up about it. Yeah, uh, a couple things that are interesting there. I'll, I'll just say, emotion was was there for me in a different way. Uh, my friend that I normally share season tickets with wasn't able to go, so I was able to take Isaac, my oldest, who happens to be home for a little bit before he starts his new job down in Portland, and uh, that was kind of special to be able to go to week one. We got to go and have drinks and and have pregame and we were all looking forward to it. We started by watching the 49ers play the Steelers. And that was just (laughs) terrible because like the 49ers looked as good on every level as you could ever hope for. If you're a 49ers fan and exactly the opposite of what you wanted for as a Seahawks fan, every, every game in the morning was boring. Like there was no highlights. Everything was just like, this is really bad football. I wasn't enjoying it. And I just kept thinking, well, you know, I'm just looking for this forward to the Seahawks. Just hopefully, like, we'll play a good game. And even if they don't play great, we'll at least get a win and and move on from there. And it started off okay. Uh, like, like yeah. Gino, it was very controlled. And he kind of, like, you know, methodically moved the ball down the field. And, and they were just looking like, okay, this is a very professional team. I was like, okay. It's not, like, the most exciting, but this looks like okay. And you even get to halftime and you're still feeling like, 
man, the Seahawks really should be ahead by more. And, the, you know, like this is probably going to widen in the second half. It feels like that kind of game. And then what the hell happened? Like, it just, it was, it, well, then you, they come out and I'm like, wait, why is Jake Curhan at right tackle? I immediately start tweeting and te- like, what the hell is going on? And Abe Lucas, oh, he's got his helmet off on the sideline. Okay, maybe he's got a, a concussion. And then on that series, Charles Cross like limps, like it, it calls out and limps. And I'm like, oh God. And then I see him go in the tent and I'm watching the game partially. And then I see the cart start to come out and I'm like, are you kidding me? And he gets carted off the field. And then the rest of that game happens. And it's one thing to lose in week one of the season. It's one thing to underestimate an opponent that's maybe better than all the offseason that you thought it was going to be. It's another thing to have like, you know, underperformance or guys that you're excited about that don't play well or whatever, or maybe some slight injuries or bad coaching. But when you combine all of those things and you have pretty devastating injuries that also just you don't get to say, okay, they'll regroup and play better next week. They might actually play worse. Um it was really deflating. Like I, I just, I just, I wasn't super mad. I was just depressed. I was like, I was so excited about this season. I was excited to watch it. And I couldn't find, I couldn't find the thread to hold on to, to say, okay, it's going to be okay. There's still going to be a lot of fun stuff. Like they still have a chance to recover. And I think that that's probably an overreaction, but that's how I immediately felt after that game. It's totally fair because um, it was a weird week, and you kind of covered it there. Like, I have on the other side of this room, there's three televisions. I watched most of every game, and I can't remember a week like this. Nathan had it right. Like, I can't remember a week where so few teams came out of this week happy. Like, a lot of the best teams in the league lost. Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen all lost. And a lot of these teams, other than really San Francisco and maybe Dallas, came out of this week just like with their dreams crushed, like Pittsburgh, their dream was crushed. Seattle, Chicago, uh, the Jets lasted four plays. Like that, it was a strange week. And then of all the teams I watched, I watched every game. Nathan says, Matt Stafford was the best quarterback I saw last week. And I, I underestimated him. I thought he was Me too. at this point. And maybe the injuries had gotten him. And I did not think, and obviously the Seahawks lack of pressure helped, but that was a big deal. Matt, if Jared Goff plays that game for the Rams with that situation, I don't know if they win that game. But I think you're right. It's just the thing that's scary for Seattle is just the roster's built a very specific way, and so much of our hope this year was the offense. And when the two tackles come out, it could blow things up really, really fast. And every team has what's called sort of like a Jenga piece. There's that game Jenga. You pull a thing out and the whole thing collapses. There's a good case that Charles Cross was the Jenga piece for the Seahawks. And you see, like, Bosa is it for San Francisco. You pull him out, their defense is completely different. You pull out the left tackle on this team, and Geno Smith, who's not a guy who's played well when he's under pressure, and this thing could spiral pretty quickly. And you saw it last game. Their offense was anemic. And that's why I get where you're feeling, Brian, because it was they looked – they only looked hopeless, but almost every offseason decision they made kind of came to a head in that game. And it was, there was, it was hard to get excited after that. Yeah, I I haven't gone back. I'll probably try to in the show look at it, but I mean to look at the exact statistics under pressure, but 
Gino just didn't perform well last year when he was under pressure in the second half of the season, especially. So I don't know if it's exact. No quarterback plays their best when they're under pressure. That's just a reality. But I'm wondering if Gino has it worse than most or if it's a bigger difference. I'm going to kind of double check on that. But the idea that I think we took it for granted, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas played pretty much the entire season last year. I think Lucas might have missed one game or something along those lines, but otherwise they were always healthy. And during the preseason, the tackle play that we saw from the backup linemen that were in there was awful. Uh, Stone Forsyth, Jake Curran, like was really bad. And so we'll see about that. I, I am curious, Nathan, who do you think, which team do you think had the worst, the worst week one? And I'll give you some choices. You can, you can go off book, but there's the Seahawks. There are the Giants who lost 40 to nothing at home. Uh, there's the Jets who won, but lost their quarterback and are stuck with Zach Wilson. Um, Jeff said the Steelers. I think that's a mm-hmm. fun one to add to the list. Anyone else that, that jumps out to you guys that you'd say is the worst week one? The Bears didn't have the ugliest box score or like just mm-hmm. total score, but that was a depressing game. And then the Bengals, I think, would be the other one. But, you know, Evan was quick on that one to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm confident the Bengals will figure things out. I agree there. Um, I didn't watch much of the Dallas-New York game. That one obviously is the most lopsided. Uh, I did watch the Steelers get their ass absolutely whooped up and down the field. I mean, they looked that that looked like a college team playing a pro team. Uh, so, uh, for just having watched it, I would say that Steelers the Steelers had the worst week one of anyone. Jeff, what about you? I'm gonna go with the Jets. Uh, I think the Jets had Super Bowl legitimate Super Bowl aspirations, and to have it come crashing down in, in four plays. Like I saw someone tweet out that it might be the most devastating injury in sports history. And like him coming out with the American flag and all that and how good their defense looked. And like, look at him for four plays. Another sneaky one is the Panthers. Um, the Panthers don't have a first round pick this year. They traded it away for the Bryce Young move up. They trade DJ Moore away. Um, JC Horn like ripped apart his hamstring. Uh, two of their offensive linemen, which was a big part of why they kicked Seattle's ass last year, are now out for the season. And they look really bleak. And if they're a team that looks really bleak, they have Bryce Young, but they have no skill position players. They might be out their best defender, and they have no first-round pick. They're giving that up to Chicago. Like, that is a bleak, bleak situation if things spiral for them. A little bit I saw Bryce Young looked okay, though. Yeah, he did look fine. Yeah, I... I think I concur with you about the the Jets. Uh, that was what that's kind of where I went. It's because Seahawks don't really have Super Bowl aspirations this year, no. um, and the the Jets do. The thing that I I'm a little bit concerned with the Seahawks is this is going to sound crazy, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I started having questions about their two to to four year window based on this game because if let's look at it look look at piece by piece for a second gino had his worst game essentially uh, since he's been named starter since last year uh 112 yards or whatever it was um you know and if he's that then the seahawks have a (laughs) just lost the notion of having a franchise quarterback and from a contract perspective, they could get out of it at the end of this year. So that's not that big of a deal. 
but you don't have a quarterback and you just went through your draft where you had two first round picks and two second round picks and your chance of getting that quarterback is going to be harder. Although there's a number of coming, coming out next year. Um, Offensive line wise, Abe Lucas has got a chronic, it sounds like he's a chronic knee injury and I don't understand exactly what that's going to mean. And that's a pretty big concern of one of your two bookends. Um, Charles cross turf toe. Whatever. We'll see what that is. Um, DK is another thing that's less long-term, but I mean, enough already with the acting like a three-year-old out there and embarrassing himself and the team. I, I mean, honestly, that was just absolute trash human kind of behavior to, to knock down a former teammate that way or knock down anyone that way in a, in that moment. Uh, and this is a guy you're counting on to be a superstar for you in the biggest moments throughout that game. I don't know if they were showing it on TV. He was doing it throughout the game. He was after the play, you know, trying to incite stuff and that wasn't great. And then the secondary man, like Trey Brown looked like shit. He looked really bad and made a lot of bad plays. And I don't think Mike Jackson's the answer. Kobe Bryant looked really bad. Um, and so all of a sudden now you're like, okay, uh, what do we have here? Like we're, we're counting on Jamal Adams here. Is that our big three-year plan? Like it just starts to, to, oh, and Draymond Jones, you just spent $17 million and this guy looks like he isn't worth $5 million. Like, he was a nothing in that game. He, he wasn't even a, a factor that created opportunities for anyone else. And all your edge rushers looked like not that interesting. So like it was collectively just, holy shit, what does this team have that's above average? And it kind of brought me back to the question that Jeff, you and I have been talking about who's the blue chippers on this team. Who's got that ceiling. And it was like, nobody. Like, is that the that's, answer? That's what got me. I, I this is, I know we're overreacting, but we're, yeah. we are, we're yeah. overreacting. Like yeah. DK's career is not over. I mean, DK is, no. this has been DK. This is what he's always done. And people have, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. It's not going to change. And that's just who he is. That's fine. He can still be great. Um, Tariq Woolen can still be great. Uh, you know, Jordan Brooks looked awesome for in a lot of a lot of that game. Um, it's one game for Gino. I mean, the tackles thing is brutal. Like, you know, Cross might have been the Jenga piece, but you also lost another, you know, one of those pieces with, with Lucas. So that's that's going to be really difficult for them to navigate for the next few games until they get healthy again. But like they, they scored 13 points in the first half. That doesn't sound amazing, but that, you know, you can do that in two halves It's 26 points. It's more than they averaged last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, there is reason for optimism. I think this, that defense could be good for Jamal Adams. If he's healthy uh, Witherspoon in place of Kobe Bryant alone, um, I think will be light years different. Uh, and, and he could do some cool stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, like very disappointing this could be a sign of a really miserable season. Um, we talked about this last week, right? I said, like, this was, this was the thing I didn't want to see. I didn't want to add this to the list of games, like the, uh, the Panthers game and the Raiders game and yada, yada. And it definitely goes in that list, but they had those games last year and they made the playoffs. So again, if you were expecting that step forward and I know Brian, you were, um, I get, this is a big disappointment, but like, 
the season's not over. So, yeah, yeah, and we'll 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 start moving into some of that. I I wanted to start a little bit with like just how how low I I, I like my mind went with some of yeah, this stuff. Yeah. But the truth is, I don't. I still don't really doubt that Gino is going to be good. I I really like. I believe what I saw last year, and I think that that's going to happen again. I think it becomes a harder thing if he doesn't have protection. <laughs> um, I think the hardest thing about this was. Like Gino's been an awesome story, and I think Gino's a, a really good quarterback. And you know, he led the league in uh, what completion percentage? He was uh, number one in the NFC in touchdowns. Like Big hard to ask. Throws. Yeah, like... yeah, hard to ask for a lot more from Gino last year. But it, but watching him and watching Stafford in this game, you were like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. There's there's a there's a diff, there's a talent. I difference here i don't i don't agree i i understand that there was a big disparity in this i put a lot of that on game plan like if you look at where the targets were in this game they were all within five yards for the seahawks i don't think that's all gino i, I think that that was no. the game plan and if you the reason i say that is go back and put on the tape from gino's a lot of gino's games last year this guy's making throws that almost nobody else in the nfl is making so i, I don't think that there's I think he can make all those throws. I think that the game plan was absolute shit. I agree, but there were four or five throws that Stafford made in this game that Gino's never making. Yeah, I'm, I agree with both of you to an extent, but I have the same thought as Nathan. Stafford is an elevator. Stafford can make inferior players better. And like Kelly, Kelly, Kenny Godaladay, that guy used to be on the Detroit, who was like a number one receiver, and he leaves Stafford, and he's like out of the league in two years. And all these guys last week who. Russell, Russell, for his credit, <laughs> Russell was really good at that, to his credit. Russell elevated guys. I don't know if Geno Smith is that player. I think Geno Smith is the sort of the quarterback who's dependent based on who's around him. But I certainly agree with Brian. Um, the way they called that game was pathetic. And uh, the passing chart that I don't know if everyone's got a chance to see, the passing chart, they were playing as if they had a backup quarterback in. Their, their mm -hmm. throws are all at the line of scrimmage. There's like nothing downfield. They're, Mike Duger was posting clips of just some of the stuff the Rams were doing coverage. On almost all of those routes, there was not a single route running to the middle of the field, which is wide open. J Jackson Smith and Jigba is not Zay Flowers. He's not the kind of guy you want to throw at the line of scrimmage and have him deke around people like Zay Flowers was doing in Baltimore. The way they used him and the way they were running route combinations with their personnel, their tight end group, they were barely running out of 12 personnel. Other than that one drive, which had some creative walker runs and that shot that they should have hit to Bobo, I thought the play calling and the design, and that was one of the reasons I'm so frustrated. How can a guy who came from just a Sean McVay system where they're so good at moving people around and so good at creating easy throws and routes, how come when we play, it looks like like late career Alex Smith is playing quarterback? Yeah. And they're not taking for any. He just smothers all offense. It's just, yeah, I don't know if it was a Pete thing. That's where I found myself so frustrated with the coaches. Because these throws the Rams are making are basic. Yeah, Stafford hit some beautiful ones, but these routes and the route combinations, yeah. ugh, I was so mad about how, that. How can we be so bad at screens? <laughs> I, I know we ask this like 10 times a year at least. It is mind-boggling to me how bad the Seahawks are at screen plays. It, it, I, it, different quarterbacks, different uh, OCs, different receivers, different running backs, different tight ends. And we can joke, oh, it's Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is not teaching them how to or how not to run a screen pass. Like, 
it makes no sense to me that they don't know how to run a screen and everybody else in the NFL has these simple, like God, we could even go back to Daryl Bevel and say, well, at least Daryl Bevel, when he ran those stupid wide receiver bubble screens, they'd get seven yards. Like they weren't beautiful, but there was something there. Like they just, they lose yards on half the screenplays they run. Just evidence of how amazing Jermaine Curse was. We all thought we were all so frustrated by those plays, but look at what we get without him. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I did mean to take a moment. Um, Evan Hill had wanted me to write, read a Evan and Dana both would want me to read a statement. Evan's statement was uh, people are going to blame this game on Pete Carroll and the coaching. They shouldn't. Pete Carroll did everything that he should and that this is really no one should be upset about this game. In fact, he thinks that they should extend Pete Carroll after this game, which was a surprise. I don't know about you guys. I was surprised that Evan felt that way. Dana, on the other hand, thought, man, they should cut Bobby Wagner after this game and that Pete Carroll should be fired. I thought that was remarkably negative, given what we know of Dana, but had to share was uh, me on the side. And you wouldn't believe the stuff she was saying about Quandre Diggs. Oh, my. That's like, right. So I forgot that. Yeah. Unbelievable. Broke a lot of people. Unbelievable. And, and there's going to be people that believe I'm serious. So, um, <laughs> who had the best week? Which team had the best week in the first week uh, in the NFL? Uh, maybe relative to expectations or just in general? San Francisco. They just look like, like what Nathan said, they look like a college team playing against one of those 40 to nothing blowouts and Seattle's supposed to be that team nipping at their heels and they get beat by 30 points at home. Um, yeah. San Francisco just looked like they were at a different speed than everyone else. I'm sure there's some other answers that you can come up with, but to me just watching them out and just throwing Nick Bosa back in there, they're just, they're good at everything. It's terrifying. What happened in the Dallas game? Because I have Dak on my fantasy football team, and I saw that the score was like 33 nothing, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is going to be good. And then I looked at and he got me like he, – he threw for like 150 yards. What happened in that game? It spiraled very quickly. There was a blocked kick early in the game, and the Giants couldn't block Parsons at all. And the defense just – like they couldn't get going on defense. And – they had two blocked kicks. They had a return touchdown. The Giants are not a team who can play from behind. They don't have skilled players. And Dallas is D. And, like, if you're Brian, you're the biggest Dan Quinn guy you can think of, this had to depress you because they just absolutely manhandled the Giants' offense, especially the offensive line. Daniel Jones, that he might have had a worse week than Geno. Um, and that didn't really have to do much. Tony Pollard was running a little bit, and it was just – the game spiraled so fast. It's one of those games where just things get out of control. And Dallas has that ability. Dallas is a good pick for that question too. Like they won forty to nothing on the road. Oh man, and it's just it's frustrating for me. Like you watch Dan Quinn and you see Cleveland. Cleveland brought in Jim Schwartz, and you see the instant impact of one of these top coaches, one of these top coordinators, and their defense looked incredible against Joe Burrow. And then you see Seattle, who's got Clint Hearn, and they can't cover a basic pass. <laughs> it's a tough week man yeah i think i think the i think dallas is probably where i would go and partially because i just i thought the 49ers are potentially exactly what they showed it was just frustrating to see it um dallas doing that against a division opponent on the road i think that they put philadelphia on notice because the eagles 
didn't play that great in in new england and dallas is going to go after that division that division just got a much harder and uh for the 49ers it's like oh sweet this is going to be like the 2005 division in the nfc west that the seahawks faced where everyone was under 500 and the seahawks got to dominate so um yeah i think i would go dallas uh i think by the way a team on that list is detroit um it was an excellent first week they did benefit from some absences in the on the chiefs uh team but to go in and beat patrick mahomes i don't care who you are what the situation is to beat him in kansas city in week one doesn't happen it doesn't happen and and they did that so um i give them a ton of credit for that yeah another one on one of the worst weeks it would be our old friend the denver broncos Ah. (laughs) Uh, russell did play russell did play a lot better but they scored three points in the second half against the Raiders and lost at home in Sean Payne's big debut. Russell Wilson had their offense had three points in the second half against one of the worst defenses. And this new Sean Payton thing looked a lot like the team last year that lost at home to an inferior team. Yeah. I think the Russell playing a lot better was a little overstated. I think he averaged like five yards a throw. So, um, I think he had like 150 yards passing or something. It was, it was, he had a couple touchdowns though. So I'll give you that. Uh, all right, Nathan, are you going to look up patron questions? Are you, you going to pull those up? Yep. Awesome. Uh, while Nathan's doing that, uh, I will just say good time to give the show a like, click subscribe and go to patreon.com slash hawk blogger, sign up, get immediate access to the Slack channel where you too can ask us questions every week. We will not get to every question, but we will get to as many as we can within a reasonable amount of time. And we also are doing game ticket giveaways. I will say there's a high likelihood that uh, I've heard from a, a birdie that we will have two tickets to the Seahawks versus the Panthers. We will be giving away to a lucky patron. So patreon.com slash Hawk blogger join now get access. Let's have some fun. All right, Nathan, let's take a few questions. All right, um, Brian, uh, we have a question for you. Uh, what? How, how do you see Seattle trying to neutralize uh, Detroit's path pass rush? Um, we talked about, and he says, I've never seen any of the Seattle offenses the past eight years utilizing the screen game effectively, uh, which is one way teams will look to punish the path, pass rush. Uh, how is Seattle, how do you see Seattle surviving with a couple backup left tackles well, or, it's uh, tackles. yeah it's interesting because i had the same kind of impression that maybe um the lions had a better pass rush because i think everyone thinks about aiden hutchinson and he had seven pressures last week and that was good on the road um how many sacks do you guys think that they had in, in kansas city any guesses they had 24 pressures how many of those turned into sacks one, uh, two goose egg, zero yeah. sacks. So I, I think, I think Aiden Hutchinson, um, is a really solid pass rusher. And I think he can be a problem. I don't think this is a multi, uh, multi-headed like pass rush. So I think that allows you to run away from them, roll away from them. I think it allows different play action and boots. And I think that it also look one thing I will say about Jake Curran 
when he started five games at the end of like the 2021 season, I want to say the Seahawks ran for almost like averaged over 200 yards rushing a game. So what do you do when you don't have the guys that you want? You play to their strengths. Jake Herhan is a mauler. You put him next to Phil Haynes and you maybe play a little more two tight ends uh, and you run. And so that might be a big part of what the Seahawks try to do. Oh, one other thing. I do think there's a chance they do the exact opposite and play more spread uh, for four receivers, quick pass uh, and not give the, the rush a big chance to get home. So those are the two things I think might happen. That was from uh, Kalyana Raman. Uh, next question from Mark Zuck. Uh, Jeff, uh, do you think it's time to drop the idea that Witherspoon will play nickel? Um, both Trey and Mike Jack have had struggles. Do you think Trey Brown, Mike Jackson's play is going to change uh, Seattle, what we, we believe Seattle is going to do? Yeah, I think those guys open the door right there for Witherspoon. And I, obviously, Witherspoon, it comes down to whether he can practice a full week, but I just think his talent is upside. Even the way the coaches are talking about him, I, I think the door is wide open for him. Trey Brown had what looked like a great camp, but he just looked second rate in that game. And his tackling was really bad. And on a team that just needs playmakers and studs and those blue chip players, I think Weatherspoon's going to be, he might be an every down player this week. And they're playing one of the best middle of the field receivers. So they're going to be a nickel a lot to cover St. Brown. And so I think he's going to be a combination of outside and inside, but I think I think that idea of maybe Trey Brown running away with it and keeping Witherspoon off the field, I might have gone out the door pretty fast. Brian, I think this is a soapbox one for you from Nick S. Is our home field advantage gone? Seems like opposing offenses aren't really bothered by the noise anymore, or is it more a sign of how bad our defense has been? Um, you know what? My my like the initial answer is absolutely like this the the proofs in the win loss record over the last few years and and i don't think the seahawks play significantly better at home than they do on the road um that said if the seahawks have a very good defense then i think that the the advantage becomes much more pronounced i i I, it's not like i don't think that seahawks fans know how to create an advantage I just don't think that there's a, a team that really is equipped to take advantage of it. And I think that that kind of builds on itself. So I don't think that we've lost the ability to do it. I just, yeah. I, but the reality is we don't have one right now. That is just the truth. Um, Jeff, Jen wants to know, is it time to put Clint Hurt on the hot seat? Absolutely. Uh, I thought he was had to be on the hot seat coming into last year. I'm coming into this year after how abysmal they were defensively. And they made some very clear scheme changes. They played more 4-3 this week. And a lot this season is dependent on what this defense does. And so much of our effort went into the defensive line. And the fact that they looked that bleak and that much of a pushover in the secondary. Yeah, he has to be, his job has to be in jeopardy. And like I said before, like you see some of these defensive coordinators around the league come in and just, you see the impact, you see the scheme, you see the coaching, you see their impact, like Jim Schwartz comes in and obviously they have Miles Garrett and a killer defensive line, but you see that wide nine and you see the system. And with Clint, you don't know what he is. You don't know what they do. And their defense has really done nothing well the last year in one game. 
So what is Clint Hurts mark other than being a Pete Carroll guy? He came up as a defensive line on the defensive line. That's been terrible. Uh, if he's not on the hot seat, that's a big problem for me. Their run defense was pretty good. It was. We'll say that much. So yeah, something to watch there. Um, okay, Brian. Um, uh, Michael Massive has a long question. Um, so I'm going to summarize here. It's no secret the Rams game changed a lot of people's outlook on the season. Uh, we talked about this quite a bit. Um, but his question is, is there a way that this team can redeem itself? Is there anything that Seattle can do against Detroit that is going to... You, you talked about how, like, not only is this season done, but they're they're never making the playoffs for the next 10 years. So <laughs> what? It, how, do, how does the Ram game get you back on the Super Bowl train? Or, sorry, not the Rams game, the Lions game. Yeah, I knew what you meant. Uh, a win this week would be would be a significant step because it seems highly, highly unlikely. Um, and so what would that mean? It would mean that they would have to find a way to create an offense without their two starting tackles. And if they can start to, to do that against a team that's on the come and excited on, on the road in their home opener, then there's, they should definitely do that against Carolina in the following week and be back at two and one. And then you're going to go into Cincinnati and a, Cincinnati team that we don't know exactly what they are and maybe you can get the three one. So I, I think that there's, and then you got a bye week. It's actually and, the Giants first. What's that? It's actually the Giants. That's the fourth game, not Cincinnati. Gi- Giants. Easy oh yeah. Back. The Giants yeah. just had a pretty crappy. Yeah. So I think there's, there's a path to getting that bye week and then getting your tackles healthy. Jamal Adams comes back. So I think all that could be true. And then the other thing that really has to be there. I think it's a must at this point. Witherspoon has to be a really good player. If Witherspoon is if Witherspoon is a difference maker and he comes in, things could change. So like those are the two top and then any kind of freaking pass rush. My god. Knock the fucker down. I'm so sick of watching them down. They're just somebody hit him. All those things would help. Um all right. Uh, last one I'll do for both of you from Jason. Uh, Jeff, uh, you can go first. Which of the new offensive linemen are you most impressed with? I'm assuming he means the ones that we saw play last week and not the ones that they just signed. The new offensive linemen. Yeah, I guess it's really only Brown is only. I was going to say, is that Evan Brown or is he talking about the ones who they picked up off the street today? Uh, I guess, I mean, uh, all right, let's do this. Jeff, what do you think of Evan Brown? I thought he was fine. I didn't think he was special. I don't think he was a liability. I don't think he got pushed around. He was uh, he, he was fine. Nothing exactly how he was advertised. He wasn't a difference maker. He wasn't a liability. And he held up relatively well. A lot of Aaron Donald's pass rushes came from the edge and from some different spots. And that was a big assignment. I don't think he moved blue guys off the ball or anything. I don't. I don't know if what his PFF grade was, but to me, he was, yeah, he was competent. Nothing special, but did his job. Okay, Jason is in the chat and clarified the ones we just signed. Do you have opinions on any of the guys we just signed? Do we want to jump into that yet? Uh, you not add? really. I'm going to be honest. Uh, do you give you guys a little bit on those two guys? Yeah, yeah, like these are guys that were preseason 
emerging guys that I wasn't watching the Bucks and Raiders uh, yeah. preseason. So, so first is is Raekwon O'Neal. This was from UCLA, uh, undrafted free agent, um, picked up by the Tampa Bay Bucks uh, onto their practice squad. Six four, three hundred pounds. He's essentially a left tackle, and had the two games he played two games at left tackle, one game at right tackle for the Bucks, and it counted himself really well. Um, his first game, eighty two overall grade, eighty six point seven pass block, seventy eight point two run block um overall he was 82.5 across three games um 79.7 for pass block 81.5 for run block so i've looked at a lot of offensive linemen grades those are pretty good um and so that's interesting uh mcclendon curtis is a big boy he is 6'6 325 and he has played at the chattanooga the mocks uh and he was on the Raiders practice squad. So he is more right tackle. He also plays guard. Um, his, his preseason was much fewer snaps. I mean, he got the most snaps he got in any game was 10. So this is a guy not getting a lot of snaps. But in those snaps, he played pretty darn well. His first game, 93 overall grade, 75.1 pass block. Every one of his games was 75 or greater in pass block. So better pass protector. He also had a 90.2 grade in run block his first game. So he finished his preseason with an 88 grade, um, 86.2 uh, run block um, as well. So interesting guys. And honestly, I'd rather see some guys figure it out on the field uh, than Stone Forsyth, I think, has a very limited upside. I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of done with the Stone Forsyth thing. I think... Uh... Corbin was talking about Curtis and I think he has a, yeah. So he's got a pretty good athletic profile too, a 7.74 Raz, which is um, good. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's real solid. So, yep. I think that, uh, that what about Jason Peters? How do you, what do you guys think is going to happen? So Jason Peters isn't going to play this week. They signed him 41 years old. Uh, what did you guys think about the fact? So first of all, thanks for patron questions, patreon.com slash hawk blogger, sign up, join the crew. What is the deal? So Charles cross does not go on IR today. Abe Lucas does. That means they think Charles cross might come back sooner than four weeks. Is that surprising to either of you? A little bit, but I mean, who knows, right? It's so hard to predict injury stuff. Yeah. I the more surprising thing is that they signed three tackles and uh, didn't put them on IR. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was a little bit surprised that that happened. Um, and it sounds like Jason Peters won't play this week. So we're going to get Stone Forsyth and Jake Curran in this game. Yeah? Uh, Is that your expectation? I would think so. But, may, I mean, they have to put these two guys, uh, what is it, O'Neal and Curtis. I mean, they're on the 53, right? Uh, they're, they did have to sign them to the 53. Yeah, they're both on the 53. Yes. So it's not in- – possible but you would think that those two would start and then if Curran plays like he did 
last week, then he's probably gone by the first half. Then, you know, start of the second. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is, it's going to be really, it's going to be rough. <laughs> it's going to be rough. And I think, uh, I think back to the Holmgren days, I would have known exactly what a Holmgren would have done. He would have left tight ends in. He would have been very conservative on offense. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll seems to do the opposite of what you'd expect. So I don't know what he's going to do, but uh, we'll see there. Um, Jamal Adams is back practicing limited. If you haven't already picked up on it, there's a very obvious pattern to what the Seahawks have done throughout all of training camp, which is they bring guys back uh, for one week. They do limited. They kind of do walkthroughs and, you know, the basic stuff. And, and then the second week is when they go full go and then they come back and play. Witherspoon was that last week. Um, he'll go this week. Jamal Adams is limited this week. I think that gives him a decent chance of actually going full go next week. Um, I don't think there's other changes. Do you think Trey Brown, that there's enough that they would change Trey Brown and Mike Jackson? Do you think that Devin Witherspoon could potentially jump them both and play outside? Um, curious what your thoughts are. Jeff, I'll start with you. Actually, Nathan, let's start with you. You just yeah. asked a bunch of questions. I'm sorry to answer that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the question's a little moot because I I have always kind of thought that if there's only two corners on the field, it'll be Woolen and um, Witherspoon. Um, and then Witherspoon will move in when they play nickel, which will be a lot of the time. And so you're still going to have to have uh, Mike Jackson or Trey Brown out there. Um, now that could change when Jamal Adams comes back and you could play nickel type looks with Adams as the nickel. So you've got love and digs at safety Adams playing nickel, maybe against bigger packages and things. And then you have Witherspoon and, um, uh, Willen out there, but that, that's not gonna be the case this week. So I don't think Mike Jackson will end up stealing a lot from Trey Brown. I don't know that Mike Jackson's done anything to really. I don't think Trey Brown was that bad, and I don't think Mike Jackson's done anything to really deserve jumping him yet. Um, so I don't know how much any of that really changes this week. Um, all right. If you're wondering why I'm kind of seeming distracted, it's because I've been trying to figure out the difference between quarterbacks when they're pressured and not pressured uh, while I'm talking to you guys. Uh, and I just figured it out at least from last year. You guys want to know? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the biggest difference was Mac Jones last year. Second was Trevor Lawrence, then Sam Howell, then Matt Ryan, Kyler Murray, Zach Wilson. So you get down. Tom Brady was actually one of the biggest last year. Um, Geno Smith was not one of the biggest. He's like all the way down at like 33rd. Um, so it wasn't, it, I mean, as much as I think it was a big, he went from an 87.5 grade to a 59. <laughs> Point five grade that's significant difference but it's not it's not as big as other guys um so anyway i i think maybe like brock purdy was a much bigger difference he went from 87.2 sorry yeah he went from 87.2 to 50 um as opposed to 59 so uh happens to everybody lamar jackson by the way matt stafford bigger difference um, you know, went from in this case an 80 grade to a 44 grade. 
Uh, although last year was a bit, a bit of an off year. So sorry, I was a little distracted. I couldn't help myself. I really wanted to figure that out and I thought I could do it quickly. Um, all right, let's let's talk about this game real quick. Um, Bobby Wagner gets the team together in practice today, yells at him, tells them that they got to play with more energy. Uh, do you think that this is a game that if the, you know, Bobby Wagner and Gino and Quandre Diggs and Pete Carroll, like they lead them really well. They get high effort. How much is that worth in this game? Like, is that they kind of get them all the way to a win? Um, Nathan, like what, what's your, what's your read on what it would take for them to win and how much mentality is going to be a big factor. I, I didn't feel like effort was a problem last week. So like I don't I don't think there's some big turnaround that they're gonna get just from playing harder. Like they seemed to play hard last week. Um so I, I can't see that being a big deal. Jeff, do you feel differently at all? Like that's probably what I'm asking because I was like, I appreciate that Bobby's doing that. Do I really think that that's gonna make a big difference? I don't know. No, I'm I'm with Nathan on that. I don't I didn't see that. I thought like Tyler and DK looked kind of lackadaisical and looked kind of just, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't very good, frankly. Like they weren't getting open and talking to like Griffin, some of the film guys, they said like, just looking at those two, they looked horrible, but I don't think effort is the issue. I think just in terms of like a chess match and the matchups, they're going to have to win some matchups where they're really, they're really playing uphill and, like their biggest weakness last week was they didn't like you, they did not cover the middle of the field. They left Nate Tice put out that passing chart and the way they pepper the middle of the field seemed very planned. And they're playing the best middle of the field receiver who comes from the Rams concepts in the league. Amon Ross St. Brown just eats up the middle of the field. Um, maybe the Seahawks want to run a route to the middle of the field this week with Jackson Smith and Jigba. That would be a nice start. Um, but again, the offensive line of Detroit with Sewell is really, really good. They have Sewell. They have Frank Ragno. It doesn't look like Taylor Decker is going to play, so mm-hmm. that's a helpful. But I think Brian mentioned in his column preparing for the week, like they have the offensive line that we've wanted the team to build and be that bully. So if we – and the biggest thing about this game is I don't think it's effort. It's J- Jared Goff has a very clear pattern of when he's good. And I know Dana was writing our chat last week. Like, oh, like Goff looks great. And to me, it's the same story. And he's landing in a really good spot for him because of how good their offensive line is. But – when Jared Goff is not under pressure, he can tear you apart. And did it for the Seahawks for years with McVeigh, and they're not as good as McVeigh. But if Seattle can't get a pass rush, they're probably going to lose the game. And I don't think it's effort. I think their pass rushers have to just be better, or they need to scheme a little differently. And they need to stop the run as well against a really, really good offensive line that's big and strong. And Pay Sewell is one of the best at his job in the league. And so effort to me is, is it like if I have a ranking things, it would be, I think coaching has to be a lot better. Yeah. I think I, Bobby should have gone over to Pete and Hurd and Waldron. And <laughs> but, I like that. I mean, that would have been awesome. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Like uh, Pete, Pete Sherman would have done that. Yeah. yeah Sherman would have. <laughs> Doug would have. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think the coaches and I think, the schemes and I think the game plan, I think the game plan needs to be significantly better than it was last week, but they got some really hard matchups for their liability, their limitations right now. It's going to be hard. Well, so 
so I, I, I mean, we'll get to predictions here in a minute. I, I mean, I, I don't think the Seahawks are going to win this game. Uh, if I wanted to paint the picture of what it would take for the Seahawks to win, um, I would think about things like Quandre Diggs going back to Detroit. I, I think uh, you can get a little bit more out of him, and maybe he's part of the answer in creating a turnover. Uh, Reek Woolen did have a pick six against Jared Goff last year, and you know maybe there's something there. Devin Witherspoon, if he can be the guy to match up against a guy like he's exactly Amon Ross St. Brown is exactly the kind of receiver that the Seahawks have not been able to cover well. And if Witherspoon can be part of the answer for covering a guy like that, that could be big, especially if he's also someone who has shown some propensity to blitz well and, you know, create turnovers and be, you know, like an energetic player. And then you need to have some sort of good fortune on the pass rush. And maybe it's this right tackle that, um, that is out. Taylor Decker is going to be out and maybe you're able to, you know, turn something out. So I do think the defense to me is a huge part of this. I think that it's a lot to ask for the offense to put up 30 points. So I think that you got to be able to have a defense that holds this team low twenties at, at highest, I think to have a realistic shot to win. And for that to happen, I think these, all these things I just mentioned have to be part of the, the equation. So I don't think it's crazy, um, but I don't think it's likely. So I think it's, this is, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think it's what you said earlier. I kind of think it might have to be the running game. Whoa. I know. Hold everything. But that running attack uh, that they had at the end of 2021 with Rashad Penny and Jake Curran out there, uh was really really good and like better than a lot of passing offenses good um i don't know that they can recreate that just by sticking current back out there but um you know we've seen this team you know has some explosive runs and things and so maybe that's how they uh can keep up on offense and you know and, and if they can just keep it together well enough in pass protection then maybe that's how they get a shot here one more thing on this so there's this weird thing about that game with the Rams where the Seahawks defense actually did like kind of okay other than third down. Like they were just epically bad on third down, but they forced no, no, a lot of long. It was second. They forced, a, they were good on first down. They forced a ton of second and longs uh-huh. and the Rams were just converting them or, or, or turning them into third and shorts. I, I saw that. There was a lot of third and fours that were getting. First drive, there was four, four of them. Like uh, these, these weren't these weren't a lot of third and ones. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of third and fours, and even if they were succeeding on second down, I, I just felt like third and four should not be a seventy percent conversion rate kind of down (laughs) and distance. So anyway maybe there's something there. Like it just felt like it always kept coming up to pass pressure on third and short and, and that they couldn't get home. Um, maybe there's an answer there. So who knows, but man, it, it does feel, it does feel like a, feels like a, a heavy burden to ask this team to go and win on the road in Detroit this week, but let's go ahead and get to predictions. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, one more thing. I don't remember if it was Jeff or you, Brian, that said it. I think it was Jeff. Like, I don't think the Rams win, 
if they had Jared Goff instead of Matt Stafford. And great news, the Lions have Jared Goff instead of Matt Stafford. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, maybe maybe some of those more special plays that Stafford has, like I, I, Goff's not making those, and so maybe it stays a lot closer and doesn't at least get so ugly. <laughs> I think the chat is loving Nathan's embrace uh, of the run game. I'm not saying they. I want them to lean on the running game, but if they could recreate that rushing attack from, you know, two years ago now, that would uh, that would be just fine by me. All right, let's get to predictions. Jeff, you get to go first as you were absent last week. Give us a score and a winner in this game. Um, I, I'm not there with Seattle yet. Their tackle situation is so bleak, and I think Cross and Lucas are so important to what they do. I said before the year, like the key to the season was about their offense being at a championship level. And once those tackles came out, they looked like one of the worst offenses I've ever seen. So I think they will be better. I don't know if they're going to get punked and blown out, but I, I'm saying Detroit just has the edge in terms of those matchups. It's just, it's unfortunate that it works this way. I'll go 27 13 for Detroit. Uh, if you remember the Lions game, we all remember how good Geno Smith was. We talked about that Carolina game and that Raiders game. Seahawks defense against Detroit last year was horrific. Like TJ Hawkinson was like running free down the sidelines and Jamal Williams had like a 66 yard run for a touchdown and they couldn't cover it. That was like the Cody Barton at his worst. So I was going to say TJ Hawkinson wasn't running completely free, but yeah. Josh Jones <laughs> yeah, was playing and Cody Barton was running the wrong way and they played awful on defense last year. So I think I'm hoping the coaches cut it loose a bit. I'm scared they're going to just rein Gino in and have that like offense they had like against San Francisco last year where they don't let him do anything. I think for them to win this game, they got to cut it loose, get a little more aggressive on defense, blitz a little more, attack them. They sit back. I don't think they have the horses to win this game. Nathan. I am going to say... Um, I th I'm trying to decide. All right, uh, I'll go with my more boring one here. Twenty-one twenty Seahawks. What? That was yeah. a more boring one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very boring. Yeah, I was trying to think. Like, dude, I mean, because it's Pete, and whatever you think is gonna like, I, I want to zag. I'm trying to zag with Pete here, but I'm gonna go boring. I'm gonna say something. More simple. I'm going to say 21 20. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think the defense looks better and I think the offense just finds enough. And I think, I don't know, man, I just can't quite buy into Jared Goof yet. I, I know, I know this, there's a lot to like about the Lions team. I know there's a lot to like about Jared yeah. Goff, but I just can't. They didn't play very well. I know everyone wants to crown them. The Lions kind of played like shit. I mean, uh, if Sky Moore and uh, Kadarius Tony don't drop 82 passes, some into line. Yeah, their, their offense looks slow, man. Yeah. yeah. I, I really hope with all of my heart that this time next week, well, this time next week, probably not because I'll be flying home from New York. But uh, when we do our podcast next week, that we are talking about how – 
stupid we sounded to be so down on the Seahawks that we had so much confidence before the season and all this talent that they had and all the things that we're building and that we let it all get shaken with one game. It was week one. And look at the Seahawks. They just what they just did on the road to Detroit. We shouldn't have felt the way we did. That would be so awesome. They were about to run away with that game, and then their tackles get hurt in the second half, and it took an unbelievable Matt Stafford performance, and we lost complete sight of everything and just freaked out like yeah. the emotional fans that we are. I would love, I would love to like have the chat just be giving it to us, uh, like beating us up about that. I'm looking at the chat. They're not going to have any room to speak. <laughs> All right. Um, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I I think that the Lions are a better team that is better coached right now, better prepared. I think they are feeling the upswing of decades of irrelevance and building a, a team the right way on the defensive and offensive line. And um, in some ways, I don't hope for it against the Seahawks, but I really want the Lions to to have a good team. I, I like, I, I like that team, something about them. I like, I don't want it. I won't be cheering for them this week in any way, shape or form, but I do like the way that team is coming together. And I think that they're gonna, they're gonna give the Seahawks all sorts of problems. So I think the, this one probably goes in the category of like 30 to seven, um, something along those lines or 30 to nine. Let's go 30 to nine. I think it'd maybe be field goal type of game for the Seahawks. And uh, we'll be licking our wounds at 0-2 next week um, with the season completely hanging in the balance um, when they come home to play the Panthers. So I don't like saying those words, but I have to be honest with how I think things are going to go. Thank you to Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 for joining Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons for joining late. It is now tomorrow for Jeff uh, out there uh, in the Eastern time zone. Appreciate you staying late. Congratulations on your rousing softball <laughs> championship. I'm Brian Emhauser at Hawk blogger. You can find me there. If you haven't already give the show a like subscribe, click and uh, join uh, patreoncom slash Hawk blogger. Slack community, potentially free tickets to a game. It's a good time. You get to ask us questions and we will see you there as well. Until then, folks, enjoy a pajama, you know, wearing Sunday with a morning game for your Seahawks. And who knows, with no expectations, hopefully you can only beat that. So let's let's see if maybe they can even give us reason to be feel good about this team. We'll see. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Take care. Go Hawks. Hey folks, this is Brian Nemhauser. Thanks for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I want you to know that Real Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast platforms. Go ahead and subscribe. Have all podcasts delivered directly to your phone after each and every show. And then go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Helps us out, gets more people to the show. Then, if you haven't already done it, go to patreon.com slash hawkblogger and subscribe for just five bucks a month. Gets you immediate access to our Slack channel. Join hundreds of folks in that community to talk Seahawks about wins, losses, and all things in between. Not to mention become eligible to win giveaways for Seahawks tickets and get to ask questions of the Real Hawk Talk crew every week on the show. 
finally, if you haven't gone to hawkblogger.com recently, head on over. Tail the Tape Morning After articles are there every week. Hoping to see you there. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. Go Hawks.